Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Friday, July 1st, 2022. This is Shannon, and tonight I'm here with Mika, Stacy, and Georgina. And we are talking about one of the best things in like all of the bookity world. We are discussing old school. Pay very close attention to that old school romantic suspense so things written in like the 80s 90s very early Early 2000s 2000s. yes when romantic suspense was sexy and terrifying and just all around epic yes it still is but but, i was just gonna say not that there isn't like some good romantic suspense being written now because there certainly is but I feel like there was a huge shift kind of in the mid part of like I don't know 2012 2013 maybe when romantic suspense changed in in some key ways and so we are taking it back to so many of the fantastic romantic suspense that we love. We are. Yes. So we are going to get started with the usual housekeeping information. Then Stacy will start us off, followed by Mika, Georgina, and last will be me. Natalia was going to be with us, but today is her anniversary, and so she has abandoned us for happy more, anniversary um, for more romantic pursuits tonight. Oh, well, hopefully romantic and not suspenseful. I was just going to say that. I'm <laughs> thinking, you know, her her chances of suspense are, are pretty low. Um, okay, at least that that's my hope. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. I had so much trouble narrowing down my books tonight because this genre during my formative years was my bread and butter of romance. I just, I just gobbled it up like candy and I loved it. But I always knew the very first moment this episode was proposed, I knew I had to talk about One Summer by Karen Robards. I had to. I know. So Mm, Anna this Fields. Book, Anna Fields read it, uh, commercial uh, with commercial audio. And 
this book takes place in, um, I would say, um, I feel like it was written in like 94. So we're going back almost 30 years here. This book is about Rachel Grant. She is a high school English teacher and she's sort of a prim and proper miss on the outside. She wears very um, sort of, you know, long skirts and proper heels and, you know, silk blouses and She's just a very proper lady of this small town in Kentucky. But during the first few years she was a teacher, there was a student named Johnny Harris. And Johnny Harris was the bad boy of the high school and, you know, had so many things stacked against, against him from his, um, from his family background to his behavior. But Rachel Grant always saw something a little extra in Johnny Harris and really tried to cultivate that and nurture that. And that would have been all well and good until after high school, he was accused of murdering his girlfriend and was sent off to jail. Well, now 12 years later, he is being released from jail because he uh, wrote to Rachel and asked if he could have a job in the family hardware store. That was part of the, um, uh, one of the rules for his release was that he had to go and have a job and a place to stay. So he's going to come back to this town that hates him for killing one of their young darlings. And he's going to work at this hardware store and the town. There's a lot of pushback in this town. Uh, people who just, you know, Rachel never thought he actually killed this, this girl. Um, it just didn't feel right to her, but you know, the rest of the town is just up in arms about him coming back. Well, bad boy, Johnny Harris does come back to town and Rachel, who is only a few years older than he is quite fascinated by how this bad boy sort of grew into a man whilst in prison. And this book is their story. It's about how there's, there's much to overcome, um, but it's also a terrifying romantic suspense about this shadowy person who we only know as the Watcher. And oh. the what? yes. And the Watcher has a thing about Johnny Harris that we're not quite sure about and is going after people um, who are close to Johnny and leaving these gross flowers on bodies as they are being killed. And so while Johnny and Rachel are in the process of going from like to lust to love, there's also this killer on the loose who is sort of reenacting the murder of the young woman from 12 years ago. I'm not going to say anything else about this book. I will say that some of the language, um, you know, this was a book that's been very near and dear to my heart since I was late teens, early twenties. I mean, it really um, kind of formed when I think of the quintessential bad boy hero, it will forever be Johnny Harris for me. Um, there were some things about the book that didn't hold up well. There was some language that um, I found pretty offensive when I reread it again this time. Um, but besides that, it's a really solid, wonderful read. And there's some violent, killing, gory descriptions. Um, and, you know, the Watcher is quite, quite a complex person. And this is just a book that is just, if you like old school romantic suspense, you have to add this to your library. So this, again, is One Summer, and it's written by Karen Robarts. 
the end of this, like I, I obviously won't say what it is, but the kind of climax here where we figure out like who the, the killer is will kind of always um, stay with me because I think that was one of the few books that did this thing. Yeah, I, I think that the, the ending, the climactic moment, um, I'm, it's rare for me to be surprised by who the killer is. And let me tell you, <laughs> I think this one surprised was- me. <laughs> I was surprised by who it was, but I was also surprised by like why it was. Correct. I was too. The whole thing was quite. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, I don't even know what book I want to start with. (laughs) Oh, I know. Um, It's so hard. Okay. So the book that I'm going to, my, I'm going to start with is the first of what was initially going to be a trilogy. But then they made a fourth book. <laughs> um, so the book I'm going to discuss is Dead Wrong yes! by, <laughs> by Mariah Stewart. Oh. And um, all of these characters kind of inter, they kind of interconnect in ways that you might not necessarily like realize. But oh my gosh, I'm super excited. So, um, so this book was... Um, like back, I would say like back in the early 2000s, um, I, especially like when I knew Shannon back then and yes. like we were just all like reading romances and we had a friend who really like got us involved with reading more romances and just kind of introducing us to authors that we oh. never really like was never really on our radar before because this was yeah. kind of like new and so this was definitely a formative read um was dead wrong so dead wrong is about um a woman named mara wilson and mara is just living her life she's not bothering anybody she's just she's just trying to live her life and mind her own business and she it just occurred to me that like that she has the exact same initials of her name as I do. Oh my god! True. <laughs> <laughs> and and then all of a sudden, um, so basically, there's these three convicts who want to get revenge <gasps> on three what? different people. Whoa, and do. so the first one escapes, and he is trying to find someone who wronged him, but he's looking but he doesn't really know like exactly who they are or where they are so he's looking through the phone book oh my to find god the people <laughs> with this uh, with these initials and he's just going through the phone book just as murdering people as Stop. one does oh just god. murdering people he has already killed three people with this woman's initials and now she's like the fourth one and <laughs> And that is that when is the fun. first of our two Aidens come in. Oh. Um, because I have a hero named Aiden in another book that I will be discussing tonight. Um, but Aiden is with the FBI and he is trying to stop whoever this serial killer is. And he's trying to like figure it out and, and everything. And what I like about this is that this is such a like procedural with heart. Oh, Like it's such a kind of a procedural um mystery and she's so good about like upping the state like how creepy is it 
that you're just living your life. And then someone is just going through the phone book, like just taking out people before you. And then you realize that you're next and, you know, and he's probably not going to like deviate because he's a serial killer and they don't typically deviate from the pattern. And, and, you know, and then all you can do is just be terrified. Um, so what I liked about this book, I liked the hero a lot. I liked the heroine a lot. I loved how, like, it was just really creepy. It was just a creepy set of circumstances. Um, and, and I like the interconnectivity of like the characters who are basically like kind of mentioned in the book. And it's a very like, you know, the way that they did policing and FBI stuff almost 20 years ago is not the same way that they do it now and now and i think that what and i think and so i picked out a fact of what what makes this book old school and i think for me it's like the constant reliance of the phone line like once the phone line is cut oh oh, yeah what do you do right and like there's like the answering machine but the biggest thing that makes this book old school for me is the phone book <laughs> like you know yeah right like you that's your write name a book with this premise now right like and where you go can, to the phone book yes and, and thank can god you for believe, that <laughs> and can you believe that there was like a time when there was just like a you know a big book that was just dumped at our door no and, and it had like your name and your address if you didn't consent to not having your address there and you just had to hope for the goodwill of people not to come to your house like it's, it's completely creepy it's um, true like anyone could find you I mean I guess yes. anyone can still find you because now we have google um but there is something about just like having that like delivered and I'm just, I'm picturing this guy just like going through and like crossing out his wiggly's little with pen, a pencil like, down, mm-hmm. yeah, down the line. I mean, okay, this hell, one's that's... done. This yep. one's done. So before new school, Mariah Stewart started writing women's fiction. Yes. Old school yes. Mariah Stewart was writing some very scary romances. And if you read them, you should read this one. And then you should read Dead Certain, Dead Even. And there's like another one, but they're all. They're all great. Dead wrong is the first one, one, right? This one is dead wrong. This is the first one. Where's dead even, dead certain? And then there's the fourth. Yeah, there's the fourth one. one. I don't know, dead end. So (laughs) yes, dead ending. I I think is what it's called. They're dead end or something like that. I'm really glad you're talking about this because I've only read Mariah Stewart's um, like women's fiction titles. Oh Um, gosh, and And then she has like the truth ones too. And she has like, like the, the Mercy truth. Street series, right? Mercy Street. Oh, yeah, those are good. Mm-hmm. Are those yes, romantic those suspense too? Yes. But a I've little read- less terrifying, I think, than like okay. the dead and the truth. But yes, like still very solid. Oh, God. You know, I love episodes like this because my TBR is going to like explode. Like Mine this. too. I'm ready. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> my first book that I'm going to talk about is... Lucky's Lady by Tammy oh, Hope. Oh, yeah, oh, I love that book so much. I this was the first Tammy Hope I've ever read, and I just I have such fond memories of um that Etienne, the hero in this yes. book. Yes. Um. So Serena Sheridan is a 
psychologist. And she comes home for a visit in her small Louisiana town, finds out her grandfather, Gifford Sheridan, is missing. He's been missing for a week. And she realizes that he's at his um, campsite in the bayou. So she knows she can't get there by herself. So she goes into this place, this fisher place where you hire fishermen to guide you through the swamp. And the guy that's first there laughs at her and says that she doesn't need to find her grandpa that he'll you know eventually come or he won't but um atn is in the back and he overhears her conversation and decides to give her a hard time and then so she decides that she wants him to you know that's her guide do you want the job or not so this takes place well, this takes place, hello. Um, <laughs> they have to find her grandfather through the swamp and there's many adventures and many missed clues. So that's all I'm going to say about this because I don't want to give too much away. This one is Lucky's Lady by Tammy Hogue. So it, I feel like this is home. really old school. I feel like this came out like in like 87 or 88. I, I mean, think it's true. It did. And all I remember about this book is it had one smoking hot tortured hero and it sort of like opened my world. I haven't read it. I know I was in high school when I read this one, but I can't remember anything it was except- as well. So normally when we do these episodes, we don't do more than one book by the same author. But I thought that might be hard tonight. And so I decided that we could have two books by the same author. I did say, however, that we couldn't have more than two. And I believe the message I wrote in the email was something like, because we don't want to have 17 Sandra Brown books and 10 (laughs) Nora Roberts. And then I thought, well, wait, like that's 27 books, which is more than ever discussed on an episode. And now I feel like we need an episode where we indeed talk about 10 I know. Sandra Brown and 17 Nora <laughs> Roberts books. Yes. <laughs> but we are going to have a Tammy Hogue double play here because Tammy Hogue is amazing and kind of the quintessential romantic suspense author. Yes. Um, so I had a hard time picking tonight. My very first Tammy Hogue was A Thin Dark Line, um, which is also set in Louisiana. I decided after some contemplation and some rereading that my first book is going to be Ashes to Ashes, Kovac and Liska, book one by Tammy Hogue. Um, This was written in either 99 or 2000, I believe. Um, And there is a scene from this book that will stay with me for the rest of my life. And I will tell you that scene at the end of my little description here. So this is one of her books that's set in Minnesota. I feel like she either sets books in like the Midwest or the Deep South. And this is a Minnesota book. So Kate Conlin 
is 42, which I also think is amazing because back then, like most romantic suspense heroines were- Were 27 or under, right? (laughs) Yes, yes. Maybe 30 if you were lucky. But Kate is 42. She is a victim advocate. So she works with victims of violent crimes. And so she's kind of like loosely associated with the police department. She's not a police department employee per se, but she works closely with them. What a lot of people don't know about Kate is that she was an FBI agent and had left her job under a cloud of scandal. And you don't fully understand like what happened with Kate until further on in the book. So I'm not going to tell you. So Kate is called in to help with a witness this time rather than a victim. And she is tasked with gaining the confidence of this teenage girl who has witnessed the latest murder by a serial killer that the press has dubbed the cremator. And the cremator is very bad. Like A, because he's a serial killer, but B, Brooke, if you're listening, um, you, you need this book because (laughs) he, he burns the bodies of these women. And at first no one knows if he burns them, like when they're alive or when they're dead. Oh God. Yes. Oh God. Yes. So this, this homeless teenager has witnessed this like last murder and she tells the police that she saw him. And now of course they want her to you know, meet with a sketch artist and figure out like who he is. And she is starting to realize that maybe this is not the safest course of action for her. And so she's trying to like pull back from this investigation because she doesn't want to be on the police's radar. She realizes like this could be bad for her, but she also doesn't want to be on the killer's radar. He doesn't know that she saw him. Now, the police department is struggling to solve these crimes. They don't have any clues. They don't understand the links between these victims. So far, there have been three Two of them were prostitutes, and the third is believed to be, although no one can confirm this right away, the daughter of like a very powerful, rich man in the city. And so no one's really clear, like what links these victims, what is driving this killer. So enter John. He is an FBI profiler, and he and Kate have a complicated past. And so now he has come to Minnesota and he has created a profile of this killer. And he kind of tries to keep his distance from the crime and the team. He's been an agent for a long time and he's seen a lot of terrible things as you can imagine. And so his mental health is not the best at this point. He's dealing with a lot of demons. Um, and sometimes, you know, he's not sure how he, how he'll survive. So he decides like if he can kind of keep everything at arm's length, view it just through a very professional lens, like maybe this is going to be like how he gets through. 
But with Kate kind of safeguarding this witness and danger kind of piling up on all sides, it becomes really difficult for him to keep his, his distance. Now, this is considered Kovach and Liska, book one, because you also see the police investigators who are Sam Kovac and Nikki Liska, and they are the characters who kind of continue on through this series. So Kate and John, you see here, and you hear some references to them in future books, but this just kind of sets the stage for future investigations by Sam and Nikki. And then these kind of go on. I think there are four, six or, six or seven, I think. Oh, well, there's a part of this book, like close to the end, of course, when a bunch of people are standing at the bottom of the stairs in this very rich, fancy house. And someone, I will not tell you who, is coming down the stairs. And with them, they have a bowling ball bag. Oh, God. Oh, and all of a sudden, the bowling ball bag, like, opens, and a head falls Absolutely out. the hell not. No, sir. Uh-uh. We are getting out of there. We are not. We are not staying at this party. Absolutely no. not. This is why you can't just go to anybody's house, any of these people's rich parties. Mm-mm, absolutely not. We are gone. The head no. is, like, <laughs> bouncing no. <laughs> the oh god. Oh, god. All these people are like watching it in in like horror. Not watching. We are running. We are not watching it like it's a right. cinematic no. thing. It's we are out. No. <laughs> I I will never ever forget this. And so no. when I was trying to figure out which Tammy Hogue I was going to talk about. I, I finally decided it had to be this one. So this is <laughs> Ashes to Ashes, Kovac and Liska, book one by Tammy Hogue. I'm broken beware of again. Bowling ball. I'm broken. <laughs> beware of bowling ball bags. The real beware. question is, did it, make a, did it make a strike? That's, that's the important question. I don't think it did. <laughs> I mean, it struck <laughs> the floor eventually, but. It did. Well, it yes. Did. After it, you know, bounced <laughs> down the stairs, which I did not know that heads could bounce, but apparently this was good. So, you know, Shannon mentioned that there was a scene in Ashes to Ashes by Tammy Hogue that she's never forgotten. And so when we were talking about this episode and I was thinking of all of the glorious old school romantic <laughs> suspense I could do, I knew there was only one that really qualified because... You know, you know, a book is damn good when it's been, let's see. Well, I got to set the scene for you here. So, okay. So remember we're in 2022 at this point. Um, but back, back in this moment. So picture this, I'm a grad student. I'm in the backyard of my grad student housing and I'm laying in the rope hammock that was set up outside and I'm laying in this hammock and I decide it'd be a really good idea in the middle of this sunny afternoon to start the morning after. And it's, uh, I don't know if it's Savannah book two. I'm not sure what the series is. is. I think it is. Yeah. Savannah book two by Lisa Jackson. So I'm laying there. And at this time, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a blind girl. And so I'm reading this book on tape at the time in this giant 
yellow tape recorder. So I'm laying on my back, this giant yellow tape recorder is on my stomach. And I start this book in the sunshine. And the prologue begins with someone, a young woman waking up in a coffin buried alive but the coffin is already occupied she is laying atop a dead person and i was so frightened reading this scene i literally was so afraid now bear in mind it's like two in the afternoon i jumped up out of my hammock i grabbed that yellow tape recorder leapt off the hammock ran inside and locked all the doors (laughs) so i could finish reading this damn book because that scene and then the one later where the old woman is buried alive and starts singing, Jesus loves me. Oh my and God. she's laying there. Right. I and forgot the, about was, that. I never will. So that is why I decided I had to read this book. Oh my so God. This book. This, right. So this book is about um, a serial killer that is called the grave robber. And he, this person is um, taking people and putting them in occupied coffins and then leaving notes with detective, I know, right? With detective um, uh, Reed, I'm blanking on his first name right now, but they called him Reed most of the time anyway. But, you know, he's leaving these like rhyming, kind of like nursery rhyme notes. So these notes are being sent to Detective Reed at the Savannah Police Department, and they're being sent like in rhyme. And, you know, this killer is like leading this detective on this merry chase all over the city and beyond where he is finding these occupied coffins that also include microphones. So you know that the killer is like listening from like long range away to like, this, you know, the people down in these graves. And, you know, there's these notes that are left at the feet of the people in the coffins. It's just horrifying. Well, then there's Nikki Gillette and Nikki Gillette wants to be going places. She doesn't want to be a newspaper reporter in Savannah. She wants to be like, in New York City or Chicago or LA, she thinks Savannah's too small town for her. And so she is like rabidly hungry to like get a really good story that will catapult her into a different media market. And so she is just dogging Detective Reed's footsteps everywhere he goes because she just wants the story so badly. And she's the one that gets the name, the grave robber. She, she coins that name. And, you know, she always is like, a half a step ahead of other newspaper reporters because she has a source. And damn, she's going to use that source for all it's worth. Then the killer starts taking note of Nikki Gillette and sending notes to her as well. And then things continue to happen throughout the story where Detective Reed is no longer able to be part of the case, Uh of the grave robber case. So he does basically a 180 and decides that instead of being his worst nightmare, Miss Nikki Gillette is going to be his way of keeping his sort of hand in the game and the case because he has um, he has his own reasons for being desperate to figure out who the hell this grave robber is. So this book to me, um, when I read it back in 2005, it was the most frightening thing I'd ever read. And I have to say in 2022, the prologue, I still was cringing and thinking, holy shit, like if that happened to me and I woke up in a coffin on top of a bony, dead, stinky body, I don't even know what I would do. 
But um, I have to say, and I'm going to say this the way I want to first. And if we need to edit, that's fine. I have to say that to me, Nikki Gillette was like a giant bucket of dicks. Like I really hated her <laughs> for probably like. Yes, me too. From when I read this. Oh, one. I did. I hate for like, at least. I mean, I almost, did. if she would have died, I almost wouldn't have cared. And the thing is, I've never actively hated a main character of a book as much as I hate Nikki Gillette for most of the book. But I have to say the killer, his, mo- the killer's motives, like all the grave robber stuff and uh, detective Reed, all of that made this book worth it to me. So, um, but yeah, Nikki Gillette, not my favorite, but don't let Did she her get better. Does she get better? She, I mean, I sort of feel like she gets slightly better, but still like by the time she finally like gets her shit together, it's sort of too late for me. I mean, she is just so single-minded to the point of being um, self-centered and not yeah. really caring that her actions might be hurting others as long as she gets ahead. And she gets I just, results. yeah. Yeah. And I, I find of found her, I, I kind of found her to be a very unpleasant heroine, but yeah. you know, I'm going to say like, <clears throat> not at one point did I think I could put the book down despite how much I didn't like her um, because it was so riveting. And I, I also have to say with, with all do respect to a very talented author. Um, Lisa Jackson is very hit or miss for me in terms of um, I've, I've read a lot of her books um, and I've, I've finished some and I've DNF'd um, probably just as many as I've finished. But this book to me is so tightly plotted. There's never any moments where the action lags. There's no downtime. You don't really actually ever get time to catch your breath because this serial killer ain't messing around and there are going to be dead people and soon to be dead people flopping all around the cemeteries around Savannah. So if you want something that's going to frighten you into a scream and have to sleep with the lights on and triple check your locks, you need to read the morning after the Savannah series book two by Lisa Jackson. I'm not talking about this book, but I, I do feel like we should give a nod to the first Savannah book. Oh yeah. The night before. Um, the, night before. the night before. Because that book, um, <clears throat> that book scared the shit out of me. Like that book is scary. And there is an actual scene in that book that like I can't listen to to a specific <laughs> song by oh, like, Def Leopard ever again. Um <laughs> Because because of what happens in the book, like anytime that song comes on, my brain instantly goes like to that <laughs> book and and talk about like killers that you never expect. You know, it just it was it was just that. And I I just want to just mention real quick too that this is the kind of romantic suspense. Like you remember how you said that it was more like thrillery yeah. back then. So this was she's I really enjoy her books, but she is definitely the kind of author. Where, where you kind of wish that there was a little more joy to go yes. along with yes. Like, yes. all yeah. of this dark and violent. Like, I feel like the romance piece is, is very much kind of the afterthought and it doesn't really like run alongside, no, you it's know, not like, as... like a lot of romantic suspenses no, and might. I, I... So the book that I'm going to talk about once again, during those formative romance years, <laughs> those foundational romance years, where we hold these books close to our hearts because of like the great writing and the nostalgia that it brings and all of that. 
um, so I'm going to talk about, again, a, a trilogy. <laughs> and Yay. I'm going to talk about the first in the trilogy. And the book I'm going to talk about is called The Prey by Alison Brennan. So this was my first introduction to Alice, to Alison Brennan. And in true Mika fashion, I actually read the, the second book first and was like, damn, that was really good. Let me go read the first one. So <laughs> um, I support but- that. I've done that. but this series is about three women who were like roommates i believe while they were in quantico um for fbi training and this woman is a retired fbi agent her name is rowan and rowan is a mystery writer i just love the idea of a mystery writer writing about a mystery writer just sounds very meta to me um (laughs) And, and she, um, and she has some books. I have a theme with these tonight, I guess, because the, um, antagonist of her book of, of this book is, um, so currently she's like kind of living in a beach house. Her book is about to become a movie. Um, and she's and Rowan is living her best life, but Rowan has also been receiving mail, um, from a stalker. And the stalker starts finding people who have the same name or the same like uh, character, like physical characteristics of the characters in her books, and then starts killing them in the way that Rowan killed those characters. Oh my god! It it is it is wild. <laughs> it is so it is so wild, and um, and Rowan is absolutely devastated and they hire um they hire a she like a bodyguard for her who is a um an ex delta force soldier um who is kind of going through some difficult and has some demons of his own and he i think that he has some he doesn't really treat rowan very kindly in spite of like the difficulty that she is obviously having with this stalker. And, and it's like the brother of, of one of Rowan's friends and, um, and he's a little bit of a dick in this series, in this book. But, um, but when I tell you that this book, like it escalates and escalates and escalates. Alison Brennan is like a master of, um, of the tension like you just feel the tension rising in this book and Rowan um, you know she doesn't want anyone to get hurt and it does have like a slight like love triangle vibe to it but it is resolved um, and there's and there is a without spoiling anything there is like there Shannon have you read this book yes so there is a scene when Rowan, like, you know, she's being stalked. Her whole life has been upended. Everything, you know, like, should she even write anymore? Like, she feels tremendous amount of guilt because of what is happening. And and there is something that happens in this book that is so surprising and, like, such an emotional gut punch Yes. That, that when Rowan breaks, it is absolutely shattering. 
like to read. Like when she breaks, she just breaks. She just completely falls apart. And it, it is like in in as a reader, like so did I, honestly. And I reread this book and I cried just as much as I cried the first time that I read it, even though I knew that this emotional gut punch was coming. Um so again, this book is called The Prey by Alison Brennan. And it is The Prey, The Hunt, and The Kill are the books in this trilogy. And they are absolutely marvelous. And I think that Alison Brennan is writing more like it's more of like a a whole like series of, of like about one person now. Um, I don't know that she's really writing more like romantic suspensey stuff at this point, but it is yeah, they're it's really good, like- Stacey. I think you'd like this book a lot. Honestly, I like think that you would. Procedurals now, I think. Like, yeah, like, yeah. Um, I think I'd like this but, book too. <laughs> I it, it's, but it is a it is an emotional gut punch book. Like, oof. My next book that I'm going to talk about is "Wildest Dreams" by Jennifer Blake. Yay! Ooh, and Jennifer Blake. Jennifer Blake, she was a very interesting writer. Joletta comes from a line of women that are, are, they're a perfume family. And this one particular perfume has been lost and Joletta is wanting to replicate it. So it shows dual timelines between Joletta's time and her great-grandmother's time um, Violet and it's dual timelines <clears throat> and Jaletta is going back you see the dual timelines because she's reading through her great-grandmother's diary and she meets a man that also Jaletta meets a man that also wants to find this perfume because he knows a lot about manufacturing um, perfumes his name is Adam and it goes through modern Louisiana times. This, of course, set in Louisiana. And times of, I think it's at 1850. And so this is a very, it, it was a very historical, it was very, very good. I'm looking, I, I can't um, tell you enough good things about this particular Jennifer Blake. This is Wildest Dreams by Jennifer Blake. This was, I think, one of the like earliest dual timeline books before mm-hmm. like dual timeline really became a thing. And I think the thing about it, there's there's someone else wanting the formula for this family perfume. And that's yes. where the kind of suspense angle comes in. Um, I, the, yes. Jennifer Blake was one that I read um, all the way through high school college and you know I mean (laughs) I think she was um older at the time um I knew of her books she's a very prolific prolific author who's been writing for she wrote a long time and many things but I thought this one was creepy um and you know the the hero um, I think his name is Adam he was a little um if I'm thinking of the right book which I know I am he was almost a little shady. You weren't sure exactly what his what his motives were with Joanna. Yeah, no. yeah we were. 
Okay. So I have one thing to say to start off my next book. And that is someone killed daddy. Yes. (laughs) My favorite line in history. I do not know this book. I don't think. Oh, go go on. (laughs) So, and what's funny is I remembered it for 20 years as daddy was dead, but you set me right. (laughs) But either way, daddy was not breathing. So no, no, daddy was not. Daddy Daddy did not get a good deal in this book. No, here, no. No, he absolutely did not. Daddy was chained up outside and he was dead. (laughs) (laughs) But you need to understand, and it's not a spoiler for me to tell you, that daddy (laughs) is a dog. And I was wondering when you said it was straight up. I was wondering. (laughs) But it could have gone either way with all these books we've been reading. Right? It totally could have. (laughs) So this is Heartbreaker, Buchanan Renard, book one by Julie Garwood. Oh, I have read this book. How did I know? Yes. And you don't part. remember about daddy? Yeah, remember daddy? Because when the dog dies, I block it out, okay? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, God. I was first introduced to Julie Garwood, as I think so many of us were, uh, through her historicals. Yes. And in yes. 2000, she wrote her very first romantic suspense and that is this book so aside from daddy it being dead um like that actually is a very like small sort of side plot that comes you know into into the book but it has such a a huge impact just because of how it was written. Um, I really thought that like some people chained their father up outside and I, I couldn't figure out why they would do that before I realized that they were actually talking about a dog that they named daddy um which is not creepy at all I'm just saying or weird not not at all (laughs) and I think like the neighborhood view of daddy was that he was rather um allegedly yes (laughs) for a dog so aside from daddy though we have father tom And he is hearing confession and somebody comes in and they say, and I don't know, like I I grew up Catholic. And so when you first go into confession, you're supposed to say, forgive me, father, for I have sinned. And whether or not like you like confession, you know, that's sort of irrelevant at this point, (laughs) but someone comes in and they say to father Tom, forgive me, father, for I will sin. And he begins to outline this murder that he is going to commit. And he's very upset because other priests that he has told this to, like, refuse to give him absolution. And he thinks that Father Tom should should do this. And Father Tom says, no, you know, I can't, like, forgive you for a sin that you haven't committed. And then it turns out that the victim that he's talking about killing is the sister of Father Tom, and her name is Laurent. And she is very, she lives in this small town where where Daddy is, was, 
<laughs> and she's very like big city. And a lot of people are kind of suspicious of her at first, like when she moves into town. But ultimately, they, they come to really care about her. And so when it comes out that someone is planning to kill her, this, of course, puts this town into an uproar. But no one is in more of an uproar than Father Tom, because now, you know, he knows like someone is planning to kill his sister. He doesn't know who he doesn't know why, but someone wants to do this. So he calls in a favor to his oldest friend, who is special agent Nick Buchanan, hence the name Buchanan and Renard from the title of the series. And so Nick comes into town and he decides that he's going to protect Laurent while trying to solve this crime. Laurent is not uh, a very, she's not very happy to have Nick kind of, you know, like dogging her every move. But she also knows that she's in a fair amount of danger from, you know, someone that like she has no idea of. And so she kind of reluctantly gives in to sort of his idea of, of protecting her. Um, this, you know, as Garwood's first romantic suspense, I thought was incredibly well done. There ended up being books in this series that I liked more as the series went on, like Killjoy and The Murder List. Um, I think those two are probably my favorite. Oh, Mercy. Yes. Yeah, that one is so, that one where she like saves that guy's life and then he returns the favor and helps her out. That's my favorite one in that series. And that one is also set in Louisiana. Yeah. um, Like in the bayou. So that one is very, very good as well. But I think like Heartbreaker is almost like the the foundation of this series because we get to see Garwood sort of transition from historicals to contemporary romantic suspense. And although this is not one of those books where you're like, wow, you know, the killer um, really surprises you. I feel like there is such a great amount of like slow building tension here that allows you to almost like live in this sense of doom and I think that is just one of the the trademarks of these early books and so although I don't believe that this is the best in the series I do believe that it does what it does very well and sort of sets the stage for things that go on like later in the series and the series is actually still going on. I want to say like the 14th book wow. is coming out. Um, actually, I think by the time this airs, I think it will be out because I think it's out on the 12th and it's called Grace Under Fire. But this one is Heartbreaker, Buchanan Renard, book one by Julie Garwood. So I really had a struggle picking my third book. I think I've, I've said like three or four different things that I actually wanted to talk about for this final round. And, oh, I went back and forth. I had a Jane Ann Krentz because I love her early romantic suspense. I wanted to talk about Nora. I wanted to talk about Sandra Brown. But ultimately, I had to talk about Bodyguard by Suzanne Brockman. And I read this oh, book wow. back. Yeah, back. Good old Back in the day, like 1998, this book came out. And this book to me was what introduced me to Suzanne Brockman and her Troubleshooter series, which 
I loved and followed every single book to the end. Um, but this was written prior to that. This book is about Alice, Alessandra Lamont, who in the beginning is almost, in my opinion, almost as unlikable as Nikki Gillette, but for different reasons. Alessandra Lamont is, um, her, her, her whole life revolves around being beautiful. And she was married to this sort of high roller husband who also had some connections to the mob, but you know, she really know about that till after the, till after he divorced her for a different model. And, but her whole life has just been standing in a certain way to maximize her beauty, you know, sitting a certain way, bending a certain way. If she wants, um, if she wants something from someone, she uses her beauty and her, her, and her body. But now that she and her husband are divorced, she's trying to move forward with her life. She, um, is looking into, um, uh, do it, providing some foster care for um, a baby with some pretty complex disabilities. And she's just trying to move forward here. But then she discovers that actually, you know, things in her life aren't as wonderful as she thought because she actually doesn't have any money. And if that Ooh. is not enough of a terrible, yeah. horrible, no good, very bad day, she finds out when she gets home that her house has been burgled. And all the windows are broken. All her clothes are slashed. Everything is just a hot mess in her house. And her lawyer says to her, well, you know, um, you actually don't have the money to retain me. So I'm sorry. And good luck. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a giant bucket of suck this day. And so she gets really angry when the FBI comes to her house because they're trying to track down some ties that her husband has to this other criminal. And so Alessandra Lamont then meets Harry O'Dell, who is this very sort of rough around the edges, wrinkled, suited, um, you know, kind of garbage talking FBI agent. And she summarily sends him on his way because she doesn't need any of their nonsense because her whole life is falling apart. And then she gets really angry. And the only thing that her husband wanted in the divorce was the damn azalea he planted in the backyard. So she sets that thing on fire. Well, oh. things for Miss Alessandra go from bad to worse when the mob boss, who her husband pissed off, drags her into a limo, takes her to his office and says, hey, your husband stole a uh, million dollars from me and I want it back. And if I don't have it back in 48 hours, sorry, sweet cheeks, but you're going to die. I hate it when that happens. And she's I know. <laughs> don't you hate when you get those ultimatums? Like, shit, what do you do? And she's all fluttering and going, oh, because she doesn't know what to do because she's Alessandra Lamont. I mean, and her whole life has just been being beautiful and, you know, she doesn't really know what to do. And so, you know, she does end up finding the money. And in this whole time, you know, Harry O'Dell, the FBI agent and his partner are kind of hanging around. And, you know, she just has to, like, tell them, hey, I'm fine. And they know they know that there's a price on her head and they know that, you know, she only has a small amount of time to to give this money up, but she's been threatened and she's afraid. So she, you know, doesn't really know what to do. But then even after she, you know, finds the money in this very precious place, her house gets blown up while she's asleep in the bathtub as one does, you know, I mean, oh. she's, she's, oh. she has one, like three outfits to her name that were at the drive. Did they take the bed? Well, no, she was in the bathtub. She was but in I the mean, bathtub. Did but did they take the bed? Is that why she wasn't sleeping in the bed? No, she was 
taking a bath in water oh, gotcha. and fell asleep in the hot water and woke up when the bathtub fell through the floor as the house is being blown up. Oh well, God. she was supposed to go in the morning for a meeting about foster care for this little baby. <laughs> and so all she can think of is, oh, my God, I have to get my new clothes. I went to the mall and bought today. And she's trying to crawl up um... the broken stairs when Harry O'Dell drags her naked from her house and she is taken into witness protection. How is she now, alive? <laughs> because the, the bathtub, um, the bathtub cushioned her fall full of water. And so she did not die. So anyway, okay. she gets out of this situation in a raincoat and no clothes. And she is just feeling very vulnerable because the thing that she's used all of her life, her beauty is not an asset now. It's actually a hindrance. And she goes into witness protection, which doesn't go as well as should be expected. And this whole time, she and Harry O'Dell are kind of having sort of this sparky sort of attraction. But, you know, she's more worried about like what color they're going to dye her hair. But also she's like this really nice girl, but like she doesn't know how to just be like herself without being someone's trophy. Well, things go awry as often happens in a romantic suspense novel, especially of this time period. And Harry basically takes her off the grid to where his family is in a small town. And in this small town, Alessandra and Harry begin to act upon their blazing hot attraction while the mob boss is still trying to hunt her down. There's a lot of nice character growth in this book. There's a, a tortured hero. Um, there's some less violent, gory, gruesome scenes of uh, death and destruction. But it's just a really great, solid romantic suspense um, entry into the genre, if you will, that has like leads that you end up really rooting for and secondary characters that feel fleshed out and interesting. And, you know, just a romance that actually takes center stage a bit more than the suspense. And it's a wonderful book. And it's what introduced me to Suzanne Brockman prior to ever knowing about her Troubleshooter series. And this was, I read it probably, I don't know, probably around 2000. So it's been a long time ago, but I love this book a lot. Again, it's Bodyguard by Suzanne Brockman. I have never read this. I am intrigued. Oh, I really enjoyed this book. Um, you do you know, end up I liking Alessandra? Did you end up? Do you end we up? We end up really liking Alessandra. She goes through quite a bit of metamorphosis as a person, and learns how to value herself for more than just being somebody's trophy, and you know, and that there's more to her than what's the glossy outside. So my last book this evening. Um, so back to like a barrage of tension. <laughs> Ooh, I do love those. Oh yeah. We are going to talk about, and it's not in the first in the series because we don't do that here. <laughs> um, we are going to talk about You Can't Hide by Karen yes! Rose. <laughs> I have not read this one. It, oh admit. my gosh. So first of all, it is one of the most terrifying books I have ever read for like a myriad of reasons. Um, but this book, is about a a psychiatrist or a psychologist named Tess Ciccatelli oh. and and Tess is um she's this is in the like the Chicago series by um Karen Rose that she does like in the same universe with like don't tell and have you seen Ooh. her and I'm watching you and all that um and 
and the hero is in fact the brother of the hero from I'm watching you. But uh Tess is she like the sister of um oh of of the guy from the Philadelphia from the Philadelphia book, like the scream for me. Yeah. Um, the sister of Vito Ticatelli. Yes. So they, they all just kind of interweave, but you can read them separately because oh, they're scary. Um, <laughs> but you won't miss anything too much. Um, so Tess is a psychologist and she um, and she has clients and she does like um, therapy on the for those clients. And um, as the book opens, um, well, basically... Tess's clients are committing suicide. Like they're being, they're being lured to commit suicide. And we don't know who is doing it. And the police do not like Tess Ciccatelli because when they, when they bring in, you know, um, perpetrators, um, and she goes in court and she testifies you know, that it may have been like a mental health issue. And to be frankly honest with you, like reading this book, rereading this book was kind of, it was hard um, because it really kind of brought to light that like the issues talked about in the book about how like unsympathetic these police officers are. It very much kind of spoke for me like to present day. You know what I mean? It was just kind of like, oh, nothing's really changed there, you know? Um, Oh, yeah. And, um, but you also feel their frustration because they feel like they have enough evidence on someone who has done a, you know, who's done some very heinous crimes. And then to be told that they're not like mentally fit to, um, stand trial or, you know, to, to be punished for those crimes, um, in the way that the justice system might do so was, it made them feel like they did what they did for nothing kind of. So they really hate her. And in fact, and in fact, allowed something very heinous to happen to her, um, and like didn't didn't step in quickly. Um, but anyhow, so and Tess has like Tess has a good group of friends and a support system there, and like and but her life is just falling apart because um, every time like she rushes to the scene to stop her clients from from hurting themselves and and then it fails so it is gut-wrenching to watch that happen and it happens a lot in this book um and then aiden this is our second aiden ah yes aiden is a police officer and he wants Tess to give up the information of like you know who could be doing this who could be killing your um who could be killing these people and um, and due to patient doctor confidentiality and, you know, HIPAA, she can't just go and be like willy nilly giving these files to the police. No, because no. because like then she lose her license yeah, and they might go no. after people. They might go after people, you know, who didn't do anything wrong, but who have some significant mental health issues. Um, it is. This book was hard because um, there's there's like a scene in I'm watching you 
where like um Aiden and his Aiden is like a jerk to um to the hero to like the the heroine in that book and then and then it kind of flips and then like the hero of I'm watching you is like a complete jerk to Tess um because (laughs) because of how they they feel like she's failed the justice system so it's really interesting to kind of see those things get like flipped on their heads and how like neither one of them realized you know like oh yeah I see this happened before um it is this is a master class in suspense it is very scary um I would say like they're I would say this book definitely needs some trigger warnings if you plan to read it um you know, there's, there's a lot of, of mental health, um, issues that are going on and a lot of mental illness things that are going on in this book. And someone is very much using someone else's mental illness to, um, to like make them hurt themselves. And so that, and that can be a very hard read. Um, and speaking and you just don't see the killer coming. Like that was one of those books. No, I was like, don't. That was a holy shit moment for me when I read that book. Um, and the killer is pretty brilliant in how they have like constructed like Tess's complete and utter like downfall. Um, and it, it just happens slowly and then and then it just spirals out of control. And I felt like their the romance was really good in this book. It was it was good, you know, but there but also if you read a Karen Rose book, all of the, th- like, while well, you feel like it's going on forever, they don't take more than like a week, like <laughs> to, yeah. um, <laughs> to resolve themselves. Uh, Stacy, I think that you would really enjoy this book. Um, the things that made this book creepy are things that I can't really talk about because that would be a spoiler, but I will say that my fact for <laughs> this book and why it made it old school is because there's a lot of references to the cassettes that Tess oh, uses oh. To, <laughs> to record, you know, her, her notes and record the sessions and the filing system is all, all like, you know, folders and filing hard cabinets copy. and yeah. hard copy. Oh, yeah. Of, like no computerized filing here. No computerized <laughs> filing. And and the other thing that makes it old school is that one of the people who died, like, I just think it would have gotten a lot more like notoriety and press. Like it would have been all over social media. Oh had yeah. Social media, like really been as prevalent when that book was published as it is now. So again, the book is called you can't hide by Karen Rose. And it is amazing. And you should read it, Stacey. My last book that I'm going to talk about is Love Me to Death by Alison Brennan. This was a series that I came across by accident. And once I started reading it, I could not. I had to read them all at once. Like once one was finished, I immediately went to the next. This is about Lucy Kincaid and Lucy Kincaid wants to be an FBI agent really bad. And the FBI is kind of hesitant on hiring her because of her past. 
Lucy was abducted and brutally attacked when she was 19. And she comes from a very prominent family of FBI agents. So they kind of shelter her and, you know, protect her and treat her as if she's still 19 rather than a woman who is nearly 30. Um, so her attacker gets out of jail and they don't tell her until he ends up dead. Then they, they have to tell her. And she's kind of being looked at as the person, she's a suspect because, you know, because of the way she, I guess, attacked him when he, before she was rescued. Um, so now she's a suspect and she's being blamed for this murder when she knows she didn't do it. So she, her family hires a bodyguard named Sean. And Sean also comes from a prominent family, but they're hackers <laughs> and, and um, mercenaries. And so this, they have to find who is, who is killing these people that Lucy is being kind of blamed for and suspicious of. So this is, this is a really good book. The, 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 the growth that Lucy goes through, because she's kind of like, moody and cranky and then later we see her kind of realize that there is it's kind of like not all about what she went through and that there is you know other things going on in the world so this is lovely to death <laughs> by Allison Brennan um I really enjoyed this series and I can't wait until the next one in 2023. I think, yeah. And if you want to see Lucy, like when she's younger, you can read the evil trilogy. I think it starts with speak no evil. And when you get to fear no evil, you'll actually see um, Lucy's abduction. And so that's kind of a nice sort of segue, like, to see kind of Lucy's whole character arc. Yeah. Um, I just, I really like Alison Brennan a lot. I also like Sean Rogan, who is like the bodyguard in this book and eventually becomes um, Lucy's like love interest. I think they have a, a very, very respectful, like slow building relationship that yes. especially back when like this was written, when we didn't pay as much attention to trauma as we do now, I think he is very, um, like very respectful of, of her past and like wanting to make sure, you know, she's comfortable with like all of the, the changes in their relationship. And there's a lot about, about consent and respecting boundaries. I just, I really yeah. love Alison Brennan. So this is a constant theme in this episode tonight, but like my third book has changed probably four or five times. 
And yes. it has changed again since the start of this episode. Oh. Oh. Yes. So I was originally going to talk about one of the iTeam books by Pamela Clare. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. I realized she is amazing. But then I realized that there's not much love given to this trilogy. And that always makes me sad. So this is the Stillwater trilogy by Brendan Novak. Oh, mm-hmm. yes. Um, yes. And it starts with Dead Silence. So this is one of those books. Um, Stacy and I were texting a few weeks ago and I was saying that I was really looking for something that's like set in the deep south when it's really hot and there's like all this murder going on and like deep, you know, kind of family secrets. And what I realized was I was looking for something that was like this trilogy. Um, And there's just not like as many things that are are like it as, as I wish there were. So this first book is about Grace Montgomery and Grace Montgomery knows that there is a body buried out behind her family's farmhouse in Stillwater, Mississippi. She knows whose body it is. She knows how and why it got there. But she also knows that she can never tell anyone what led up to this, who is responsible for it. No one can ever know about this. And so because of these secrets that she's been forced to carry she leaves Stillwater and has done her best like never to return she's been gone now like 15 years she is a successful attorney in Jackson and she's done her best to kind of put this behind her of course you can't ever really put something like that behind you but she tries however through a series of circumstances that I'm not going to go into for this description she has to return to Stillwater at the beginning of the book. And she's now living once again in this farmhouse. And she's confronted with all kinds of memories that she can't kind of keep hidden anymore. Now, Kennedy is the man who eventually becomes her love interest. And he has a lot of complicated feelings about grace and kind of how she was treated back when they were in high school. And there's a part of him that kind of wants to make amends for this, but there's also a part of him that is almost positive grace is hiding something. And well, she is. So many years ago, grace's stepfather went missing. No one knows what happened to him. According to everyone in town, he was this like upstanding pillar of the community. And no one can figure out like where where he's gone. Now, Grace and her family know a different side to her stepfather. And of course, they they have their own kind of theories about what happened to him. But no one's very interested in hearing those because they've already decided that, you know, Grace, maybe her mother, maybe her brother, like who knows, someone in her family had something to do with his disappearance. And maybe, just maybe, they're not wrong. But 
maybe they are too. This is a, a series that like reading the first book is sort of your introduction. It kind of whets your appetite. You start to unravel the mystery, but the mystery is not completed in this first book. You know certain things at the end, but not all the things. And so you have to go on to finish it. Um, the perspective switches in each book. So you get a different sort of point of view, you get a different romance, um, but always this same like building tension in like the South, in this small town that wants you to think it's just all like pristine and peaceful and glorious, but these dark secrets are, are hiding pretty much everywhere you turn. Brendan Novak, I think is one of those authors who is known for like certain books that she's written, but a lot of them, especially the earlier ones do not get a lot of attention. I read this series in the late, like, I don't know, 2007 maybe. And it's one that I, I think about again and again when I'm looking for like this type of book. And when I'm really looking for that romantic suspense that spans a few books that feels like very scary, but also it has kind of that nice like romance element as well. It's not all, you know, terror and doom, although there is quite a bit of both to be found here. Um, this is Dead Silence and it's Still Water, book one by Brenda Novak. And I have not read these. It sounds like her romantic suspense is... Uh, more nuanced and uh, not as character driven. Like there's more um, plot perhaps. Yes. Um, I think her romantic suspense and her more sort of now like women's fiction, um, like what is it? The bookstore on the beach uh, before we were strangers. Like some of those, I think, have kind of that nuance of like kind of a nice division of like character and plot. Like you don't feel like it's, you know, completely plot driven with like cookie cutter characters, but neither right. is it like lacking plot. All right. So sadly, this brings us to the end sadly. of old school romantic system. And there were so many people that we could have touched on, but, but yeah. did not. So I want to thank Mika, Stacy, and Georgina for coming up with some of the books that they, <laughs> that exist in this category. Um, it was, it was very hard to choose. Thanks as always goes out to Christine for her editing and of course, we thank each and every one of you so much for joining us each week as we talk about great books. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. 
and some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Thank you.